0: Brian McClanahan Show, episode 439. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B R I O N McClanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com, mclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class when you do enroll, 10 myths of American History, and you get the best deals on new and forthcoming courses. I have a new course out right now. The coupon's already gone for that. But I will be having Part 3 come out probably in a little over a month. So you're going to be looking for that class. You're going to want it because it's really going to get you going on the Constitution. Originalist Papers, Part 3, Part 1 and 2 are out, but you can purchase any one of my classes at McClanahan Academy. It's a win-win. You get great content. You help support the show. You help keep this podcast free of charge. It's awesome. And so, I mean, I've got so many classes over there. You've got all kinds of things to focus on, so... Take a look at McClanahan Academy. Purchase a class that helps keep the class going. Or, I'm sorry, helps keep the podcast going, excuse me. You can also go to that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can click on that. You can throw a few pennies my way. Get your book plate If you want my autograph on one of my books, I've got a lot of those out too. Seven books. I have a new book coming out probably within a month. So you want to look for that too. But uh, I mean, the books that are already there, my latest is Southern Scribblings that came out last year. So get a book plate, get an autograph, or you can throw a few pennies my way, make a donation to the podcast, keep the podcast free of charge for everyone else. But your financial support is welcomed and appreciated. And always, share this podcast around on social media, rate it wherever you get your podcasts, let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Let them know you want them to listen to this show Get your Brian McClanahan Show logo and all kinds of cool stuff by clicking on that shop tab at BrianMcClanahan.com. All kinds of ways to support the show. Word of mouth, though, is the best. I mean, the more people that get this podcast, the more we're going to make some inroads into how people think about American society. Now, let's talk about the topic of the day. If you've been following any type of mainstream conservative news sites, and one of the ones I'm going to talk about is American Greatness. You know that uh, about a week ago, a little over a week ago, American Greatness, the, one of the writers there, Michael Anton, wrote a long hit piece on Yours Truly because of something I wrote in Chronicles Magazine. And I'm going to get to that this week. I'm going to focus on another piece because Paul Gottfried responded to it, and then Anton wrote another rebuttal where, again, he took shots at Yours Truly. So my response to that is going to be in Chronicles Magazine, I think, in next month's issue. Uh, but it will also be on their website at one point. And I'm going to talk about how foolish these people really are. And I'm, I'm going to do it with Anton this week, but I'm also going to focus on another one of their uh, these conservative ink, these neoconservatives. I know Anton doesn't like it when I call him a neoconservative. <gasps> how dare you? I have differences with these people. But you're all Straussians. And Leo Strauss was the intellectual godfather of all of this stuff. Claremont, I mean, it's, that's Leo Strauss. You're all neoconservatives. You're all Trotskyites. And you're all silly and foolish for what you're doing, because the fairy tale world those people create—the fairy tale world—I mean, the founders weren't racist, the founders weren't weren't pro-slavery, all these kind of things. I'm at least accepting of that, and that they were. And my point is, so what? It doesn't change that these men were great men and they did great things. But what's happening when you do this is that when you say. Uh, oh Well, I mean, we have to say they weren't racist. Well, they were. You you open yourself up to every argument the left levels at them. Every barb they fire then finds its mark because y- you look like a liar. You look disingenuous. So the best thing to do is say, well, yeah, I mean, they did these things. Okay, so what? Does it change the greatness of George Washington? Does it change the greatness of Thomas Jefferson or James Madison? Does it change the greatness of any of these people that held racial views and did things with slavery that we find abhorrent today. Is that? Is that? Does that change any of them? It doesn't. It doesn't change any of that. It doesn't change the fact that these men wrote two governing documents for the United States. It doesn't change the fact that they wrote numerous state constitutions, that they were involved in drafting the Bill of Rights and then wrote a Bill of Rights and, of course, added those to state constitutions as well, even before we had the Bill of Rights. Does it not change any of that? Does it not change the fact that they waged war, won two major wars against the British? It doesn't change any of that. It doesn't change any of these great things. Because they did things that we wouldn't do today. And the other thing that you get involved in this, and I'm going to say this with Anton's piece too, when I I talk about that later in the week, uh, when you... Why should we have to always say, well, you know, I'm against slavery? Isn't that accepted? I mean, isn't that just common sense that nobody in the 21st century would advocate that anybody, I should say, I'm sure there are people, but really nobody with a brain would advocate to be a slave owner in the 21st century? I'm not going to. I mean, that's ridiculous. So why would I have to sit there and genuflect and, oh, please give a blood sacrifice to the left uh, over, you know, not being pro-slavery? Of course I'm not pro-slavery. This is just stupid. But what they're doing is they're letting the left set the terms of the debate, and you can't do that. You got to tell the left to shut up. These things don't matter. Nobody up here. If you had a debate between a conservative and a liberal, a progressive in 20, 2021, neither one would advocate for uh, for the institution of slavery and lifelong bondage. Nobody would do it. Nobody. So, I mean, why would we even be, have to, why would we have to say these things? Well, because the left, again, wants to play this stupid game. It's their game. They put the right on defensive, on the defensive. They make them oh, fall, fall all over themselves trying to figure this out. And they should say, okay, well, these people didn't have views that are the same as ours. So what? So what? Tell me where that doesn't, tell me where all these other things that they did doesn't outweigh that. Of course it does. We're not defending them on the views that they said about this or the views that they said about that or the actions that they did here. No one's defending those things because we're not living in the 18th or 19th century. We're living in the 21st century when these things are not what we do any longer. And the court of public opinion moved in a different direction. Not just that, we decided that these things were immoral and inhumane. So that's why we moved beyond that. Thankfully so. So why should we even waste our time with this is the real issue. And then you have the idiots. See, the the problem with all of this, the Straussians, the Claremont Hillsdale School, as Anton calls them, the Alan Gelzos, the Michael Antons. I mean, take your pick. Victor Davis Hanson, all these people, right? The problem with all of these people is that at first they were against taking down Confederate monuments or John C. Calhoun or I mean, they, they attack Calhoun relentlessly, and they don't even really know John C. Calhoun. This is the sad part about it all. They're really bad on the history of John C. Calhoun, number one. And number two, uh, they attack the South relentlessly, even though Anton says, I'm not South bashing. Well, I mean, and they get all this wrong, right? And They also get New England wrong, too, let me, let me tell you. What they do is they create a fantasy world of the founding it doesn't even mean anything because again, I could punch holes in every argument they make, which is why I wrote that piece for Chronicles. I said, look, this is stupid. If we're going to put out false history, they're just going to get nobody's going to pay attention to us. If you want to create myths and fairy tales, which is what Lincoln did. I mean, there's an entire Lincolnian myth. The war is a myth for the one side that won, the the righteous cause myth, the founding is a myth. All these things are myths. So if you're going to create all of these false narratives, then the left can just come in and punch holes in it. Why don't you just be honest with what they were, and then you say, you know what, so what, these people are great anyways. There's no retort to that. There's there's no comeback to that. Okay, so yeah, yeah, and, and, so you're saying these and? You're saying that George Washington didn't hold racial views we all day, and? What's your point? Is George Washington still a great man? Would there be an America... Would there be a United States without George Washington? Can the left say, well, I mean, uh, blah, 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 blah. They wouldn't be able to say anything of that. So, okay, so George Washington is the most important man in American history. The band should be everywhere, right? Would there? And, and, and I'm going to get into this Gelzo piece because, I mean, you're going to be surprised what I'm going to say about Lincoln. I'm not a Lincoln fan at all. But there shouldn't be any equivocation about what's going on here with Confederate monuments or Abraham Lincoln or George Washington or take your pick of anybody that had any impact in American society that people decided to pay money to put a monument up to. I don't care. I don't care. So let me get into this piece. It's an Alan Gelzo piece, and it's at Law and Liberty, and it's just ridiculously stupid. It's typical Alan Gelzo nonsense. The title is What's in a Name? came out May 4th, so it's been out for about a week. He says, the urge to apply names to persons, places, and things is one of the oldest of human impulses, dating back to the Garden of Eden, and certainly as old as Alexander the Great's decision to apply his own name to the city he founded, or almost founded, in the Nile River Delta in 331 BC. Americans also took to the naming process in very early. The Massachusetts Bay Colony named its college in 1636 for its benefactor, John Harvard. The Connecticut Colony's college was likewise named for Elihu Yale. New Hampshire's Dartmouth College is named for the Earl of Dartmouth, and Virginia's for King William and Queen Mary. Towns in Pennsylvania were named for politicians the colonists especially admired, such as John Wilkes and Isaac Bear, hence the modern city of Wilkes-Barre. My own hometown was named Polloy in honor of the Corsican freedom fighter of the 1750s, who's immortalized in John Boswell's life of Samuel Johnson. Even the first permanent European settlement adopted for its for itself, the name of King James, hence Jamestown. Now, of course, he doesn't mention that both Harvard and Yale, the names, uh, particularly Yale, Elihu Yale, the Yale family, was very much involved in the slave trade. So was uh, Brown, the Brown family, Brown University. He doesn't mention them. I mean, these people all have skeletons in their closet, but we're not talking about naming the, renaming the entire thing, right? The Jamestown colonists did not significantly consult with the local Pahattan tribes all around them in this naming process, if there was really a process at all, or ask whether this dour son of Mary, Queen of Scots, was eminently worthy of such honor, and thereby, thereby sowed the seed of controversies we are now reaping over affixing names to institutions. Why is there a controversy? I mean, why is there a controversy? Because people decide it needs to be a controversy. You see, what Alan Gelzo should just say at this point, the, the peace should stop there. Tell these people just to shut up. That's really what it comes down to. Shut up. There's nothing going on here. We don't change names. These names will be given for centuries. This is the conservative thing to do. That name, William & Mary, has been there for centuries. Not just a decade or more. But even a name that's been on a building 70, 80, 90 years, you shouldn't change that. A statue that's been up for over 150 years, 100 years even, you shouldn't take that down. That's a long time. That's tradition now. What are we seeking to conserve? This is the piece that I'll get into with uh, Michael Anton, who asked the question, what are paleoconservatives seeking to conserve? Well, clearly it's not Abraham Lincoln's revolutionary America, so therefore it's not good. This is his stupidity. It's all stupid. because not all namings are connected to individuals of permanent admiration. The American Revolution forced the renaming of King's College in New York City as Columbia. The massive fortifications built at the tip of the James River Peninsula was named Fortress Monroe in honor of the fifth president. A smaller fortification in midstream was named Fort Calhoun. But with the outbreak of the Civil War, Calhoun's name was too radioactive for Union taste, and it was renamed Fort Wall for Union General John Wall. Even in the First World War, there was an effort to rename sauerkraut as Liberty Cabbage and a hamburger as Liberty Steak. The same thing was attempted more recently during the Iraq War when France declined to participate in the Coalition of the Willing and some agitators called for the renaming of French fries as Freedom Fries. But again, you see, all that is kind of stupid. Even that. I mean, it's just kind of ridiculous. And I know, oh, that's pretty funny, and I mean, conservatives get on board with these things, but all of this is ridiculous. None of these energies bestowed on these namings and renamings has, however, quite matched the concern over the last year and a half with several generations' worth of institutional namings and almost always on the grounds of some form of cultural insensitivity or political offense. Sometimes the renamings have been exercised in a simple good, call, good sense. So here we, sometimes this is actually good. So we're going through all these things. We have all this stuff. These are, these are look, he says, generations worth of institutional namings. Generations. So what are conservatives really trying to conserve? But some of these things are just good sense. You know what's good sense to Alan Gelzo? Taking down Calhoun's name. That's good sense. John Calhoun's name was attached to a Yale residential college in 1931, with little regard for how Calhoun provided the inspiration for the Southern Secession that caused the Civil War. Did he? Did Calhoun ever provide any inspiration for Southern Secession? You see, Calhoun was actually, this is where I say Alan Gelzo is just a moron. Calhoun was a Unionist. The man never provided an inch of Secession. The Secessionists in South Carolina hated Calhoun because Calhoun was always pulling back. He didn't want to secede. The Secessionists were pushing. What about all the Secessionists in New England? In the early 19th century, the early 1800s, into the 18 teens. What about all of that? Nothing. Nothing. But Calhoun somehow provided the impulse for secession. Secession is the American tradition. American, the Declaration is a secession document. The Americans did not need, the Southerners who seceded didn't need any inspiration from John C. Calhoun. They had George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and James Madison and John Adams and Samuel Adams and Patrick Henry and John Hancock. They had all these people. Alexander Hamilton, these were all secessionists. They had all of them. They didn't need John C. Calhoun. This is where it's stupid. And they even said that. We need no Declaration of Independence. Our fathers already did this. So they're already Southern. They're talking about generations before Calhoun. Those are the people they were looking to, not Calhoun. Calhoun, on the day he died, was still saying he was a Union man. And I'll get into Lincoln here in a minute, because Gelzo had to put some holy water on his head and genuflect for a minute in this piece. Or for Calhoun's undisguised white supremacist views on race and slavery. Well, who else didn't have these almost the exact same views in the 19th century? Particularly the white supremacist part. Was Abraham Lincoln not a white supremacist? Of course he was, even though is going to say, well, I mean, uh, the guy wasn't. Uh, he, he, uh, Frederick Douglass said he wasn't. Even though Lerone Bennett has shown pretty conclusively that Abraham Lincoln was. I mean, we know this. Was anybody in the nineteenth century not? This is the qu- okay. So find me, find me more than a hundred people in eighteen, you know, eighteen oh one that weren't racist. What we would consider a racist today. Find me, find me a hundred people, prominent Americans that weren't. You'll be looking a long time. You won't find it. How about in the middle of the nineteenth century, Benjamin Wade? Benjamin Wade, the man who authored the Wade-Davis bill that would have punished the South fearfully, a firm proponent of military reconstruction, complained in very racist language about all the black people living in Washington, D.C. He hated them. But yet, he's not a white supremacist, I guess. I mean, this is the stupid stuff we get into. We're going to sit here debating who's the least white supremacist. This is what I said in the in the chronicles piece. So I think Anton is challenged in reading comprehension. So what I said, we're just going to sit here and do this all day. We could, I mean, it's unproductive. It's stupid. So the only reason they put it was solely because Calhoun was a famous alumni of Yale. He makes it sound like the guy just went out and he was like a football player or something and uh, won the Heisman Trophy, right? Uh, but Of course, we didn't have that at that time, but that's all. He was just a famous alumni. The guy was one of the most important Americans in American history. And yes, he did go to Yale. And Timothy Dwight, who was the president of Yale at the time, was pretty pro-slavery as well. Now, there was there's a lot of debate over Dwight. I actually side with uh, Larry Tise's view of Dwight where he says, look, yeah, I know Dwight said these things that you can say were kind of the necessary evil, but he said some things that were pretty much in line with the positive good argument of slavery. So, I mean, what are we going to do with that? But, of course, you've got Calhoun. This is a man who was Vice President of the United States, Secretary of War, Senator, Secretary of State, member of the House of Representatives, unquestionably one of the most important men who ever served in the United States government. If anybody deserved a name because he attended Yale, it would be John C. Calhoun. This is just how stupid this is. The name was changed in 2017 to honor Grace Mary Hopper, a pioneering computer scientist. Instead, and Yale is the better for it. So nobody's even heard of this person, but okay, fine. I mean, yeah, that's great. We've got this person that did some pretty interesting things in computer science. So, uh, clearly, if, that's, if they're pioneering and these are things that are important for humanity, then, yeah, put a name, put them on a building somewhere. But don't take Calhoun's name down for it. I mean, this is how stupid that is. Give them their own thing. But other renaming campaigns have bordered on the rise of all. So, John C. Calhoun, renaming him, you could do that everywhere. But, wait. Wait. Lincoln. Oh here it comes. No one would seem to stand higher above a campaign for renaming than Abraham Lincoln, the great emancipator and savior of the union. <laughs> but which union, Gelzo? Which one? Not the Founders Union. Even Lincoln was clear. of I mean, not the Founders Union. We're not saving that at all. And yet Lincoln, too, has been the target of renaming initiatives and much less well thought out, too. The San Francisco Unified School District moved early this year to rename 44 of the schools in the district, including the one named for Abraham Lincoln, and did so because, quote, the majority of Lincoln's policies proved detrimental to Native peoples, both in terms of encouraging settler development of the American West, and more specifically in his approval of the execution of 37 Santee Sioux after the Minnesota Sioux uprising of 1862. Not even Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation escaped censure. As the chair of the district's renaming committee announced, Lincoln, like the presidents before him and most after, did not s- show through policy or rhetoric that black lives ever mattered to them outside of human capital and, the, and as casualties of wealth building. So now Gelzo's very upset about this. You just attacked his saint. I really do think Alan Gelzo gets up every day and he's got an, an altar and he has little statues of Abraham Lincoln and he splashes holy water on and Then he genuflects and says a prayer to, to Honest Abe and and reads, uh, he has Lincoln speeches there, and he reads them like he would, uh, you know, a, a a a reading from the Bible, and then goes on with his day. I really think Alan Gelzo does this. While this campaign, at least partially, failed, this is an, an astonishing conclusion, and so baseless that it calls into question not Lincoln but the renamers. No less than Frederick Douglass, the famed black abolitionist, declared in 1865 that Lincoln was emphatically the black man's president. And Douglass described Lincoln as the first important white political figure he'd ever met who did not remind me of the difference in color. Now, when did Frederick Douglass say this? When did he say it? After Lincoln's assassination. He said it after Lincoln was assassinated, when there was an ongoing process to uh, deify the man. But this is also the Abraham Lincoln who told a group of people during the war, black people, that we're not equal. We're not equal. This is also the Abraham Lincoln who was, till the day he died, pushing for colonization. Why? Because he didn't think blacks and whites could live together in the United States. He didn't think it at all. Abraham Lincoln was still, as Phil Magnus has pointed out in his colonization uh, after emancipation, I mean, f- Lincoln was still pushing for what we consider racist policies up to the day he died. And then, of course, Kelzo says, And no wonder. It's the name of Abraham Lincoln which appears at the bottom of the Emancipation Proclamation of January 1, 1863. And on the 13th Amendment, abolishing slavery in the U.S., well, it's also Lincoln who advocated the 13th Amendment, that, that the Corwin Amendment. I mean, Lincoln, as, as Daniel Crofts points out, I think rather effectively. That was really the Lincoln Amendment, which would have kept slavery permanent in the southern states. It's also Lincoln that told Southerners, look, you can come on back in. You can vote down the 13th Amendment. We can keep slavery till 1900 or so. I mean, keep it. I'm going to keep the Union. I don't care about this. It is Lincoln who authorized the recruitment of black soldiers for the Union Army and sent them into battle to kill and conquer a white supremacist regime. Kind of like the one that they he was presiding over. A slave-holding federal republic or national government at that point. White supremacist national government. And this is what we're getting. What you had in the United States, there were slave states in the Union uh, all the way through the war. So it was a slave-holding nation. You won't say singular republic, whatever you want to say, but it was. And... A lot of racists were in the Union Army. So um, was the United States government a white supremacist regime? Of course it was. But this, is, this stuff is just stupid. This is where you get into this. Okay, so what? If you want to say Lincoln's great because he issued the Emancipation Proclamation, which, of course, didn't free any slaves. If you want to say he's great because he was involved in ending slavery, okay. Uh, okay, great. We'll say that. Fine. Those are great things. So if he deserves a statue for those things, fantastic. Those are, those are actions that, are, that, are, that warrant remembrance. That slavery ended and Lincoln was involved in ending slavery in the United States. Of course, not in places where the Union Army was during the war where they said you still had to be a slave. But regardless... Lincoln was involved in that process. And so, yeah, okay, leave his statues up. Don't take them down. If that I mean, if you just want to say, okay, as a someone who did something great for America, leave them up. But all this other th- this and that, well, Lincoln did this, Lincoln did this, Lincoln did this, but Lincoln also said some things that were very, very racist. And Lincoln also favored colonization. So we can't split hairs now. If we're going to say, well, Lincoln Lincoln did all these great things, he did say things. But this is where Gelzo gets into a very stupid part of this piece. So then I'm not going to say what he said about Lincoln, the rest of it. Uh, now, and yet other renaming campaigns run merely along the same track. At the University of Wisconsin at Madison, the Black Student Union and the Student Inclusion Coalition have agitated for removal of, of Lincoln's statue there because it is a single-handed symbol of white supremacy. Or, as one student added, everyone thinks of Lincoln as the great, you know, freer of slaves, but let's be real. He owns slaves, and we want people to know that he ordered the execution of Native men. Well, I mean, Lincoln didn't own slaves. His wife came from a slaveholding family. Gelzo says, Lincoln never lived in the slave state after leaving Kentucky at the age of seven, made his first public statement on slavery at the age of 28 as an Illinois state legislature by announcing slavery as founded on both injustice and bad policy, and in 1864 reminded a state governor that I am naturally anti-slavery. If slavery is not wrong, nothing is wrong. I cannot remember when and not think and feel. So think and feel. As for ordering the execution of Native men, Lincoln indeed authorized the execution of 37 state, I'm sorry, Santee Sioux, who were hanged on December 26, 1862. But this followed a Sioux uprising in Minnesota in the summer and fall of 1862, and after the uprising's suppression trials, which condemned 303 Sioux to the gallows, Lincoln intervened, ordering a careful examination of the records of the trials and issuing pardons to all but 35 who were guilty of outright murder. The rascally on the part of the government agents who had triggered the uprising was felt by Lincoln down to my boots when he was warned that his pardons would cost him votes in Minnesota. He replied, I could not afford to hang men for votes. Now, here's the thing with that particular episode. I think Gelsof's a little off on the numbers. I I think it was 38, not 37. Um, There's some discrepancy there. But regardless, the activities that the Sioux were engaged in were certainly brutal. There's no doubt about it. I mean, they were brutal. And frontier warfare between settlers and Indian tribes and the cavalry itself was also extremely brutal. There's no doubt about it. But here's the thing. Why were the Sioux rising up? Why were this, at least this faction of the Sioux, because it was a faction of the Sioux in this particular case, why were they rising up? Well, because whites, white Minnesotans had encroached on their lands and were violating treaties, which Lincoln wasn't stopping. And so this was an outgrowth of that. So who's, I mean, if you want to take the progressive side, who's really at fault here? Is it the Sioux who are simply defending their land, or is it the white settlers who moved on to their land? I mean, so this is where you can punch holes in Gelzo's argument. Well, I mean, these people did bad things. I agree, they did bad things. They did horrible things. But to the progressive left, that's that's not a consolation. That doesn't matter. Either you gotta say he stays up no matter what, or you gotta open the door to qualifying everything, and this is what Gelzo does. As the example of Calhoun College demonstrates, not all renamings are ill-informed impulses, as some commentators have complained. The case of Calhoun College is, to the contrary, a laudable act of careful and conscious rethinking. No, it's not. It's stupid. It's giving in to the woke mob. That's exactly what it was. There wasn't anything else about it. And and by saying this, you just gave them ammunition. The, The left would say that, or Michael Anton, I'm sorry, would say that I give the left ammunition. By saying that... By playing their game, you give them ammunition because you're playing their game. What you got to do is say, no. The adults are in the room now, you childish people who want to rename things. I'll never forget there was a, a girl who attended, a an African-American girl who attended a college in Alabama. And it's, it's, uh, it's named after Calhoun, in fact. Calhoun uh, Community College. And they asked her about it. There was a reporter came down from an Ivy League school. I can't remember if it was Yale or Harvard, one of the two. And they asked her about it. And they said, hey, what do you think about this? And she said, you know what? You mean to tell me there's people that go to a school that they can't go in the building because of the name on it? How stupid. I'm, i mean, basically I'm here to go to school and I'm gonna talk about this in an article that the progressives are putting out now. They're starting to call into question their their motivation here. Because she's saying, here is an African American girl saying, Look, I can't believe that people get hung up on this. I just wanna go to school, get a diploma, go on, get a I mean, I could care I could care a less what's on the name of the building. I don't care because it doesn't affect me. That doesn't affect me. I'm going to school, aren't I? What does it matter? But see, this is there's a certain segment of the population, and Alan Galzo is part of this. Because in reality, what Alan Galzo is, is a Girondin. He is a lighter progressive. That's what he is. He says, so what should we take as our guides in walking a deliberate and thoughtful path between turning blind eyes to historical injustices and simply yielding to spasms of iconoclasm? Let me propose a decision tree, which I've developed with my former student, John M. Rudy, and which we have elsewhere offered as a help to understanding what to do about statues and monuments. So, yeah, I mean, let's make up this complicated, convoluted thing to decide how we should... Wait, wait. Why don't you just say um, we we want to take down Lincoln? No. We want to take down Lee. No. We want to take down Calhoun. No. We don't want to take down Washington. No. It's pretty simple. I have the, I have the litmus test. It's called No. No. <laughs> That's what it should be. My litmus test is simple. We want to take. We want to rename this building. No. We want to change Richard Russell's name. No. And then and then and wait, it has it has a corollary to that. S H U T space UP. Shut up. No, shut up. Pretty simple. I mean, there's no litmus test. We want to take down the fifty fourth Massachusetts. No. I mean, it's just it was put up, it was well thought out why it should be there, and not for all the reasons all these other people. We want to take down the Union No. Shut up. That's it. No, shut up. So simple. I don't need to go through all five. Let, I mean, let's, let's think about how convoluted this is. Number one, does the naming commemorate an individual who inflicted harms on a now-living person that would be actionable in a federal court? If so, remove the name. If not, move to the next question. Well, okay. I mean, I guess if we just, if we just named something, maybe... But, I, but I'm interested in things that have been up, permanent things, right? What Kirk called the permanent things. Did the individual direct the commission of treason, capital crime, slavery, genocide, or terrorism as defined by the International Court of Justice on his personal authority? If so, remove the name. If not, next question. I mean, Could the left not have written this? Treason. Well, See, you put in treason, so what's that going to be? Well, uh, treason would then be Robert E. Lee, Stonewall Jackson. Oh, Oh, wait, wait. It would also be George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Patrick Henry, John Hancock, John Adams, Sam Adams. They committed treason. They committed treason. So should we take down all those names? On his personal authority. Well, every man that signed the Declaration of Independence committed treason. They all committed treason. This is what the British said. So we've just condemned, on number two, every member of the founding generation. I don't think Gelzo has really thought this through. Did the individual undertake specific acts that mitigated or led to the mitigation of the historical harms done? But only after this question with the caveat. Itemize those mitigations on a plaque or other public installation and do it clearly. So let's contextualize everything. Let's put a plaque up there. No, I got it better. No, shut up. So much easier. So much easier. Did the individual have a specific connection to the institution or a legacy or brand integral to the institution for which it is named? If not, remove the name. If so, think hard about whether it merits it merits renaming. Then go to the next question. All this stuff is just con- so. If it, if he didn't have the specific connection to the institution or a legacy or brand. So, you know, like John C. Calhoun at Clemson University. I mean, after all the things sitting on his land. I mean, (laughs) so I mean, this is how stupid this is getting. Think hard about it. But then after we think hard, we got to go to question five. Does the use of the name Mandator induce... The institution to serve as an active venue for promoting treason, capital crime, slavery, genocide, or terrorism. Uh, by the way, the British called Sam Adams a terrorist. They did. They called him that. In fact, the U.S. government, in their training, we have seen this, seminars on domestic violence, domestic terrorism, has called the founding generation terrorists. They've called him that. So what do we do? So here you go, Gelzo. You've just condemned the entire Founding Generation. They have to go. They all have to go. I mean, you could say that every every single group that advocates independence, anything. This is, I mean, terror. The, the the government says that anybody that follows the Founders, well, I mean, that's terrorism. So you've just condemned the entire Founding Generation. This is where Gelzo is so stupid. He can't even think this through. The truth is in the details, and the details are going to be messy, so why don't you just have it easier? No, shut up. Easier. For instance, being a slaveholder would not necessarily be grounds for a naming cancellation, but rather actively promoting enslavement. Well, why would it be that way there, Gelzo? Because uh, that's not how the left is going to read this. They would just say, well, you just did that, so you've just been condemned. So then he gives these qualifiers. George Washington and John Marshall own slaves, but are not... Order enslavement. But wait a second. Both men bought slaves. Is that not ordering enslavement? In fact, there's a piece that on John Marshall <coughs> that condemns him for not even doing any he was he actually on the bench was very pro-slavery on the bench. So does that mean that John Marshall needs to be canceled? Although Washington did pursue recap recaption. So he did. In fact, in uh, New York, he was very upset after the war that, that British did not send back all the slaves they shipped off, basically, to Canada. They didn't send them back. He was upset about that. So that means George Washington, according to Alan Gelzo, should be canceled. I'm just following Alan Gelzo here. Did not propag- propagandize for slavery, nor proclaim that slavery was a positive good for which one race was uniquely suited. So you have to qualify all this stuff out. And there's lots of people that would fall in that category, trust me. All you gotta do is read Larry Ties. I mean, he's gonna, you're gonna see a whole bunch of people in there. Roger Tawney, on the other hand, actively emancipated his slaves. Well, that should be good, right? He originally owned, but actively promoted enslavement. So did John Marshall through the federal bench. I mean, this is where I think Gelzo doesn't really know what he's talking about. John Calhoun proclaimed that it was a positive good. But even Clemson University, if you go to their web page, talks about Calhoun, the slave owner, and how, wait a second here, there's a, there's a lot of gray in all of this. Edward Coles, who was originally a slave owner and Thomas Jefferson's secretary, renounced slave owning and emancipated his slaves when he moved and with them to the Illinois Territory. Hence, there should be no call for renaming Coles County, Illinois. Well, there should never be a recall, calling for doing that anyways. Ever. It was It's just stupid. We can deplore the rage for cancellation that has possessed the spirits of the woke without having to insist that no cancellations are legitimate. <laughs> so we can be a Girondin. We can be Danton, right? We can be Danton. But what happened to Danton? This is. I mean, these people are just so, they, they don't understand what they're doing. They're clueless. They're clueless. The Hungarians who toppled the statue of Stalin. Of course, this is all now. You have to. Yeah, then you have to bring in the Nazis or the Stalinists, because you know that. First of all, Stalin. Stalin is not John C. Calhoun. Stalin ordered the uh, committed genocide. Whole nother ball game. Whole nother ball game. Stalin starved out an entire republic, the Ukraine essentially, because they wouldn't support him. Starved millions of people to death. That's a whole other ball ballgame. The Iraqis who pulled down the statue of Saddam Hussein in Baghdad. Saddam Hussein is on camera ordering the execution of people in the opposition party. Calhoun never did that. Never. Never did that. You can't even compare these people. And even the New Yorkers who pulled down the statue of George III in Lower Manhattan in 1776 were not wrong. They weren't. I mean, you can make a case that George III was mild. It wasn't really George III. It was the Parliament that was the problem, not George III. In fact, fact, the Olive Branch petition was appealing directly to the king. This is the Dominion theory. I mean, there's a whole lot going on here, right? Our account will limit those sorts of cancellations of those who had inflicted harms on now-living persons. We stand on the shoulders of great Americans, but also on the bones of forgotten ones and all of all races and nationalities. This guy will not automatically solve all questions or end all debates. No, in fact, it's going to create more. It's going to be stupid. But it will allow us to discuss the real historical issues, and not the emotional and political ones, in a sober and directed fashion. In a world where retouching the past is much of much less worth than writing a better present. Come on. This is a worthless essay. So stupid, it shouldn't even have been published. But because it's Alan Gelzo and he works at Princeton and he's this uh, Lincoln scholar and uh, who is so full of himself that I don't think, I mean, look, I, 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 I wonder how his head fits through the door. You see anything of Gelzo? A pompous jerk. But, I had to read this because my five points is, is the statue there? Yes. Then no, it can't go down. No, shut up. So much easier. In fact, the title of this episode is No, Shut Up, instead of all this other stuff. All right. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brian McClane Henshaw. I'll see you next time for the next one. See you then.